Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for October 8th, 2023. That's also the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. And we are following the book from Concordia Publishing House entitled 120 Bible Stories. A great storybook to introduce uh, people of all ages to uh, 120 narratives of Scripture because of God teaches us an awful lot through His gift of story. We're dividing this book over three years of Sunday school lessons, and this is year one. So today we move to lesson number five, where God calls Abram... And this is found in Genesis 12 and 13. Now, in lesson number four, we looked at the flood, and a little bit has happened since then. Um, After the flood, Noah lives about 350 more years. His sons have many children after the flood, And so mankind starts to um, expand in population again. And um, as mankind increases in number, they gather together to build the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Of course, there God scatters them by confusing their languages. And then in Genesis 11, we have a a genealogy of Noah's son, Shem. And this is important because Shem is part of the messianic line through whom Jesus will be born. And so we have in this genealogy, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight generations between Shem and a descendant named Terah. And Terah, in Genesis 11, verse 26, has three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So, this genealogy is important because it records for us that Abram, later known as Abraham, will be part of the Messianic line leading to Jesus. Now, Terah and his family live in Ur of the Chaldeans, That's the area later known in the Old Testament as Assyria. So they are far east of the land of Canaan. But but Terah sets out to live in Canaan. He takes Abram, his son, and Abram's wife, Sarai, who we also know already in Genesis 11 is barren. She cannot have children. And Terah also takes his grandson, Abram's nephew, Lot, And the four of them set forth from Ur to go to Canaan. But they stop short. They settle in a place called Haran. And that's where Terah dies. So as Genesis 12, the start of our story for today, opens up, Abram and Sarai and Lot are settled kind of in Haran between Ur of the Chaldees, far, far away to the east, and Canaan still lying to the west. And we read in Genesis 12, verse 1 and following, Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls upon Abram to go from where he is among his kindred, among his father's house, and to go from there to Canaan. And God promises he will make of Abram a great nation. And within verse 3, we have a promise of Jesus. For God promises Abram, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How are all the families of the earth blessed in Abraham? Because within Abraham's descendants, Jesus will be born to Mary. So so we have this little messianic promise at the start of Genesis chapter 12. Now, why does the Lord pick Abram to be the one who receives the gift of the promised land for him and for his descendants? It's certainly not because of Abram's good behavior or piety. We find out in Joshua 24, verse 2, that Abram, along with his family, is an idolater. In other words, God doesn't choose Abram because of Abram's works of righteousness. God chooses Abram by grace alone gives him the land and gives him the faith to follow. There's nothing about Abram's background that merits God's call to be the father of Israel, to be the father of nations. This is simply by grace alone. So, Genesis 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oat, sorry, to the oak of Morah. That would be a famous oat. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. So already we have an example of of Abram's faith. God calls upon him and tells him to go to the promised land, to Canaan, and says that this land will belong to your descendants. The text also notes that the Canaanites are in the land. In other words, while God has told Abram that the land belongs to him and to his descendants... 
God has not told the Canaanites that Canaan no longer belongs to them. So, Abram will live all the days of his life as a guest in the land that belongs to him because nobody else around him knows that it's been given to him by God. Abram lives by faith, that even though everything he sees around him says it doesn't belong to him, God has promised this land belongs to him and to his inhabitants. So what does Abram do as, as he arrives in Canaan and travels through it? Hearing God promise once again to your offspring, I will give this land, he builds an altar to the Lord. He makes sacrifices. He expresses his trust in God's promise, even if he doesn't see that promise fulfilled yet. And again, time is going by. Abram is 75 years old. God has promised him that he will be the father of nations, and all nations will be blessed through him. And at this point in the story, he has no children. Sarai is barren. She will be for another 15 years. And so Abram is living by faith that the land belongs to him, even though it doesn't appear to belong to him. And he'll be the father of a great people, even though he doesn't even have one child to date. Nevertheless, we read, he calls upon the name of the Lord. He trusts in God's promises. Genesis 12, verse 10 continues this story. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt... The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for his sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so I took her for my wife? Now that here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So this is kind of this, this, this strange interlude where because of a famine, Abram goes down to Egypt. Now, um, this, this is a start of Egypt trips for Israelites. Um, there's a famine. Abram goes down to Egypt and um, Pharaoh sends him home. We'll get to that in just a second. Later on, 
There's a famine in the land of Canaan. Um, and Jacob and all of his descendants travel from Canaan down to Egypt and live there for 400 years, held as slaves before they return to the promised land. Um, Jesus, of course, when Herod wants to kill him as, as a toddler, um, he will flee with his parents to Egypt until Herod is dead before he returns to the promised land. So um, Egypt kind of becomes in scripture this, um, this symbol of the world and a world that opposes the people of God or even holds them in slavery so when you arrive at, uh, at the book of Revelation, Egypt, also called Rahab or Rahab sometimes in scripture, is, is kind of a symbol of the enemies of God and his purposes. At this point in Genesis, Pharaoh comes off looking pretty good. In fact, in this story, it's Abraham who's a scoundrel. Abraham is afraid because his wife Sarai is beautiful. He figures that Pharaoh will have him killed so that Pharaoh can have Sarai for his wife. And so his solution is to tell Sarai to lie, to tell lies to Pharaoh as Abram will and say that she is only his sister. And that way, Abram will still live and Sarai might have to be a wife to Pharaoh, but at least they'll both be alive. So Pharaoh takes Sarai for one of his wives and he gives Abram a ton of stuff, sheep and oxen and servants and donkeys and camels. Now, the Bible simply reports that this happened, but we know there was no reason for Abram to resort for this or to resort to this. I don't know that there could ever be a reason to resort to this um, because Abram has a promise. Abram has the promise that he's going to be the father of a great nation. He can't be the father of a great nation unless he's married to the mother of a great nation. And he can't be the father of a great nation if he's dead. So, he need not fear that Pharaoh will kill him because God has promised he's going to have descendants. And if there are no descendants yet, and God's going to keep his promise, then Pharaoh can't kill Abram. Nevertheless, for whatever motives Abram might have, he lies. This lie serves as the catalyst for getting them booted out of Egypt back to Canaan. And this lie also serves to get a lot of stuff for Abram in the form of sheep and oxen and donkeys and servants and camels. Now, Pharaoh might well be convinced that he should have Abram killed for the lie, for the deception, for the afflictions of plagues they've suffered because he's taken Sarai as his wife. But Pharaoh doesn't want to mess with Abram because he's suffered plagues and afflictions in his house because he's taken Sarai as, as his wife. And so he returns Abram to Canaan, or to put it another way, he kicks Abram out of Egypt. 
All right, so in Genesis 13, verse 1, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He probably had a lot of this when he left uh, Haran to go to Canaan, and he's only prospered more thanks to Pharaoh's giving nature. And we read in verse 3, He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So whatever Abram's failings down in Egypt, he calls upon the name of the Lord. He still trusts God's promises here. Verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So Abram and Lot return with all of their people and all their stuff from Egypt, and they can't live close to each other because there's not enough pasture land for all of their flocks and herds, and their, their, their herdsmen, their shepherds are getting into fights. So Abram gives Lot, his nephew, the choice of where he wishes to dwell, and, 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 and Lot chooses the Jordan Valley, is pretty arid these days, but here it's described as being well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the garden of Eden, except it's not Eden because that's where the city of Sodom is, along with, along with the city of Gomorrah. And so it's a very fertile place where Lot can prosper, but it's also a place full of very, very wicked and great sinners. Lot is down in the valley with its pluses and its minuses, its pros and its cons. Meanwhile, Abraham stays to the west, not in the valley. And, uh, and I've heard it said before that, uh, that no doubt the hills are less lush than the Jordan Valley. And that's probably true because the Jordan Valley is described as being like the garden of the Lord. So Abraham has let his nephew choose the good place to live, so to speak. And Abram has taken the leftovers up in the hills. But there we read in verse 14, 
The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, or Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So, kind of a neat sequence, wherever Abram settles for a while, he builds an altar to the Lord. Um, and it's, it's an indication that he trusts God's promises and wants to make offerings to God in response to those promises. And God here makes two promises to Abram. The first is that the land will belong to his descendants forever. Let's stop with that for a second, because as it turns out, you know that the land does not belong to the Israelites forever. Much of it is captured by the Assyrians. The rest is destroyed by the Babylonians, later occupied by the Romans. And after the Romans are done, there's not another nation of Israel until, what, the 1940s or so. So, was God right when he told Abram that the land would belong to his offspring forever? He was. God's promise was true. The land was a gift to them. But God never forces people to accept or hold on to his gifts. So, if I give you something and say it's yours forever and you turn around and throw it away, I've kept my word, you've broken yours. God promised Abram this land will belong to your descendants forever ever because I'm giving it to them, but Israel, by turning to all sorts of idolatry and wickedness, throws the gift away. God kept his promise, Abraham's descendants did not. I say this for, for two reasons. One, to, to say that God keeps his promises. Uh, the other is that um, the modern nation state of Israel is not part of this promise in Genesis 13. There must be a nation of Israel today. Um, that's, a, um, that's a left-hand kingdom issue, not part of God's promises. The other promise that God makes here that he's kind of said before is I will make your offspring as a dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Now, this will be true biologically. Abram will have a, uh, a son through Sarai's servant Hagar, Ishmael, and Ishmael becomes the uh, father of 12 princes. And a lot of inhabitants of the Middle East today are, are descendants of, of Ishmael. Abraham will have a son with Sarai named Isaac. Through Isaac come the 12 tribes of Israel. And, uh, and so that people expands immeasurably as well. 
And then after Sarai dies, Abram will have another wife named Keturah, and he will have more descendants, more kids through her. So biologically, this is true, but that's not the only, um, only fulfillment of this promise. Because time and time again in the New Testament, St. Paul will make clear that the true descendants of Abraham or Abram, according to the promise, are not the biological ones who share his DNA, but the true descendants of Abraham are the ones who share his faith in Jesus. So, for instance, we have in Romans chapter 4.13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And Romans 4.16, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So, believers, Christians, are children of Abraham, not because they have the same uh, DNA as Abraham, but because they have the same faith. Abram, later Abraham, believed God's promise in the Messiah who was to come. You and I believe in God's promise of the Messiah who has come. So Abram believed in Jesus. He didn't know much about him. He knew that the seed of the woman would come and crush the devil's head. He knew that through his descendants, through his seed, all nations would be blessed. He didn't know Jesus' name yet or so much that we know, but he still trusted that the Messiah would come and redeem the world from sin. And you and I share this, share faith in, in the same Jesus that Abraham believed in just after the Messiah has come. So, as, as, as Scripture says, you and I as Christians are fulfillments of that promise. We are numbered among the descendants of Abraham because the church, those who believe in Jesus, are Abraham's family. Abraham is the father of us all. All right, so that's the story of, of, of God calling Abram to go to Canaan. And we'll learn more about, about Abram in stories to come. But within what we've, what we've learned today, um, how does this point to Christ? Well, the first reason for this story is that Abram continues the messianic line. So we can trace this from, from Adam and Seth to Noah to Shem down to Abram. And the, the Old Testament will continue to tell the story of, of the, uh, the family line of Jesus from the first Adam to, uh, to the baby born of the Virgin Mary in the Gospels. Genesis 12 verse 3 near the beginning of our text is a messianic promise in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So as this Bible story begins, God declares once again that the Messiah is coming. Third, Abram is a type of Christ. He is an outsider sent by the Lord to Canaan as the founder of a great nation. Jesus is certainly an outsider. Being the son of God in human flesh, he's really not like anybody else. And he is sent by God to be the, uh, the foundation of the church, his holy people. So as Abram is an outsider sent by God as the founder of a great nation, Jesus, a son of God, is sent by God as, as an outsider to be the, uh, the foundation of the church. And fourth, Canaan itself becomes a type of heaven. It's supposed to be the forever home of God's people, Israel, but they give it up by their idolatry. Nevertheless, it's called the promised land. When Abram and Sarai are are in Egypt, which becomes a symbol of the ungodly world, they head back to the promised land, which looks an awful lot like the Garden of Eden at the time. When Israel, at the time of Moses, is held in bondage by Pharaoh in Egypt, the goal is to get to the promised land. When the Israelites are later held in bondage by the Babylonian Empire, far to the east, kind of close to Abram's hometown, where do they want to go to? Back to Canaan, back to the promised land. So the promised land becomes a type, a symbol of heaven. You and I are living in an ungodly world, a world where we are are subject to um, the bondage of sin and death and devil. But we are set free from all that by Christ. And as Abram lived in Canaan, without anybody else knowing that he was an heir of the land, you and I dwell in this world, knowing that we are heirs of the kingdom of heaven, even if nobody recognizes that we are, in fact, children of God. But the time is coming when the Lord returns in glory, and as Abram's descendants were eventually revealed to be the, uh, the owners of Canaan, so to speak, so we will be shown to be heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Hey, one quick Bible verse about Abram before we sign off today. Maybe three verses. This is from Hebrews 11, verses 8, 9, and 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
I love that quote because the promised land is Abraham's. Even though nobody knows it yet, he's looking forward to what will be fulfilled. And you and I in this world are, are strangers in a strange land, foreigners waiting for the city of God to be revealed, waiting for Jesus to return in glory, waiting for that land of promise to be made manifest. Until then, the Lord is with us and he will deliver us. All right, that's a quick look at Sunday School Lesson number 5, the story of God calling Abram in Genesis 12 and 13. The Lord bless you as you meditate upon this text. The Lord grant you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.